This is an A&E podcast. We're a group of guys journeying together to follow Jesus more closely. Well, hello and welcome to another podcast. Um, my name is Rich and I'm joined with my, my good friend, Greg. Hello, everyone. And today we're talking about a theme of comfortably numb. And, and what we mean by that is, is how so often we become numb to life. We become numb to um, some of the deepest joys that are available to us, but we're also often numb to some of the real pain and suffering that's, that's happening around us in our communities and, and, and more widely across the globe. And um, we thought it'd be interesting to spend a bit of time exploring what it looks like to be numb. How do we become numb to life and to God? And, and what do we do about it? Um, so, yeah, over the next few moments, Greg and I are going to share our, our thoughts and our reflections on, on, on how we feel it has affected us and, and some of the things we've, we've learned and experienced uh, along the way. But I guess the premise the overall premise of where we're coming from is that um, so much of, of, of our culture is, is promoting the pursuit of comfort. Um, but that pursuit of comfort actually numbs us to, to some of the deepest pleasures in life and, and some of the suffering that we really need to engage in. And, and ultimately, it's probably better that we are uncomfortably alive than comfortably numb. So, um, so Greg, let's, um, let's just talk a little bit about how it all happens. What does it, you know, how do we become numb to life and what does it look like? And I guess for a few things came to mind for me. And, and one of them in particular is how, um, as I said in that, that intro, how much of our culture is encouraging us to pursue comfort and, and to make it an absolute goal in our life to, to have, you know, all the food we want, a comfortable house, uh, a car that drives itself, comfortable clothing. And it, and it's very hard not to be, not to live that life because we're, we're constantly influenced by, by imagery and messaging that suggests that's what we should be pursuing. Agreed. And I, I think that becomes more apparent probably the older you get. I think often as teenagers, you're rebellious to the system. You're, you know, you, you really believe you can change the world and are motivated. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, it was the kind of the Jubilee 2000 and drop the debt. And, you know, that was something that I really believed in. And, and, and obviously there's, there's been things like stop the trafficking now, probably the, the Black Lives Matter. And, you know, there are, there are kind of big justice movements out there, but they're often really led by, um, by young people or oppressed people and us more kind of middle-aged, uh, middle-class people are, yeah, have kind of fallen into that kind of numb and, um, yeah, comfort. And mm. certainly it's more effort or I have to be more intentional to, to seek out uh, a life of adventure, seek out a life of risk. Um, yeah. Now that I am into, well into my 30s, I have a, a mortgage, I have... You know, wife and children, people reliant on me. Um, you know, whereas I didn't feel that pressure in the same way in my mm. kind of teens and twenties. Yeah, no, and I think that's a very common case, uh, and I certainly experienced it myself. That life just gets squeezed as you go through your thirties and beyond. 
uh, you know, you get a bigger job, another bigger job, mortgage, kids, life just gets squeezed. And so there becomes little time for taking unnecessary risk um, because we just don't have time for doing stuff that's not essential. And and I I remember what, when I was working in London and what my week looked like then, so much of it revolved around getting to the weekend and trying to create a comfortable weekend where I could recuperate and relax. And so it'd be a case of coming home on a Friday night, a bit stressed and tired, wanting the house to be nice and clean and tidy on the Friday night so that Saturday would be, would be this, this heavenly realm of peace and relaxation. Um, but I think in the process, it was, it was making me soft and numb. It's just becoming a bit squishy, unfortunately. And it, it's one of these things that, that you don't realize it's happening. It's like the frog in hot water. As the, as the water's heating up, you don't, you don't realize it's happening until you're being boiled alive, unfortunately. Um, but, but even now, I think yeah, I, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to totally detach yourself from the way of the world. You know, I spent quite a bit of time recently researching the perfect pair of soft trousers um, and, and I did. I did find them. I did find them. It's a, it's a wonderful mix of um, bamboo and lycra, and um, they are incredibly soft. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, my wife Jo won't let me wear them outside the house because they're a bit tight across the front. But but I can uh, I I can vouch for the set the, the fact that they are incredibly comfortable. Uh, but that's just what yeah, that's that what life does. The most pathetic stories I've ever heard <laughs> from you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a compliment um, but it, it, it got me thinking can, in, in how so much of our world and what we see in the media and marketing is encouraging us to pursue this comfortable life and 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 pursue something that will make our lives comfortable and and I was trying to think of can you can you think of anything that is um marketed that makes your life more uncomfortable does, that, does anything come to mind um, I think you're right. You know, occasionally you get the kind of go on an outward bounds trip, get out of your comfort zone and go on a real adventure. But in the most part, yeah, it's products. And I think mm. often this is around the marketers have a powerful tool, which is fear. And, and, mm. and I, although I don't want to get off topic, you know, sadly, we live in a very anxious society where um, the the loud voice of the world, as the Bible would put it, is a culture where it's fear, it's you don't have enough, you need yeah. this. If you've only got that or look like this, you'll be happier. Lots of um, comparisons with, you know, people who've got more than you or, you know, sometimes yeah. you're feeling guilty that you've got more than other people. You know, it's a horrible kind of circle to be in really. And, yeah. and yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you're right. We're, we're not seeking what is God's best for us? What is Jesus really interested in in our lives? We're interested in, you know, can I get a good mortgage, which will s sort of set me up for a comfortable life after mm. earnings? And can I get myself a good house and a, yeah. a comfy car and all that, all the trimmings, you know, in yeah. the meantime, yeah, go on a nice holiday. And often when we talk about our year, we, you know, we talk about the kind of the holidays, the nice, the things that were nice for us rather than yeah. the impact that we had in life. Um, yes. Yeah, we 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 were listening, weren't we, to um, John Mark Comer over in um, in the states in Portland, and he talked about if comfort and kind of happiness is your goal, 
then 2020 was a tough year because you didn't get what you wanted. Mm. You probably weren't as happy as you normally are because you didn't get to see people. You didn't get to do everything you wanted to do. If character growth and formation, which often comes from suffering and challenge and struggle, is your goal, is, is becoming more like Jesus in character, your goal, then 2020 was a uniquely good year to, yeah. to grow yeah. your character. And, and yeah, tough Absolutely. teaching not not teaching that comes from the kind of all i want is comfort but no um, it's not the prosperity gospel that is it not at all it's so good so good yeah and i think it's interesting you were saying um yeah occasionally you see things on tv about you know adventure opportunities and and i love those kind of things but they're still they, they tend to be temporal don't they they're, they're you know they're an opportunity to plug a bit of a gap in life for a weekend or whatever they're not typically a lifestyle yeah, yeah, it's, it's not uh, go and live in Afghanistan or yeah, move no. into the rough the the you know the poorest suburb of your neighbourhood and, no. and invest in people who are really struggling in life. Yeah, no, right. absolutely. No, and, and in answer to that question I posed for you about could I could I think of anything that brings you discomfort? The only thing that came to mind was a pair of tight jeans. Um, and and, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I stopped buying tight jeans when I was in my 20s so I mean, it doesn't 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 apply to me anymore and I think the only person that could advise us on on tight jeans is probably Steve because I know he has to he, he claims he has to wear them for work but, so. <laughs> he's fond of his bum is he his <laughs> honed bottom well I, uh, we, we shall um we shan't divulge what his career is and i think we'll leave <laughs> leave people to work work that one out for themselves Brilliant. but we have we have digressed a little bit we have, we have. um the, the other thing that came to mind for me around how how do we become numb is the, the, there is a reality that the world is not what it should be and and although his kingdom is coming and there will be a time when when everything is put right we're not there yet and so we're we're living in a we're living in a world that that isn't right this isn't how things should be and that brings a level of unease and one way of dealing with that is to try and numb ourselves you know it's yeah. to re- it's to reach for the the cold beer in the evening or whatever it might be to to numb ourselves to the reality of life isn't quite as god intended it to be yeah i think we have we are in a culture where we are constantly trying to distract ourselves from the from the real world and you know netflix would be a a a classic example of that so is mindlessly scrolling through whichever website you happen to be in you know enjoy it's you know we we don't engage in life at its fullness and as you say the highs but also the lows Uh, and i think there's a, a real culture of when things aren't going well often people are saying well just you know let's just have a fun party and 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 forget about it you know mm. let's just distract ourselves with a good film and some ice cream or you know a big party and a and a big night out and, yeah. and you know so many beers that you can't really remember what your problems are like yeah. that is often the kind of the strategy for for struggle and mm. yet I don't see that happening in Jesus and the disciples. You know, he isn't saying, you know, just distract yourself from your problems. In fact, he invites people. He says, follow me. Mm. And the following him is, you know, homelessness. It's sometimes leaving family members and comfort. And, and I was observing 
many, many of Jesus's miracles happen in the action of the person asking. So, so the, the lame man wants to be healed. Jesus says, you know, pick up your mat, stand mm. up. And he has to take that action. Peter had to throw the net on the other side. You know, mm. Jesus didn't promise him what was going to happen. He just said, throw your net on the other side. Um, and that was true before Jesus in the Old Testament as well. You know, um, Naaman, who had leprosy, you know, he, he was proud. And, and part of his journey was go and wash in that grotty river. Go mm. and, you know, humble yourself. Gideon, who was scared, go and walk around the city yeah. blowing a trumpet. You know, Noah, build an ark in the desert. Abraham, and, and we know that Abraham lived in comfort it was a place mm. called uh and 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 that was a wealthy city and in terms of the at the time it would have had all the trappings of comfort and and success and wealth and and abraham gave that up to follow jesus to the yeah. promised land he didn't really know what the promised land was and we know he was quite senior in age so he wasn't a you know young buck up for an adventure he was a he was an an, an, an older man and yet so often god and jesus has you know, as kind of God in, in human form gave a, 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 an action um, before anything mm. happened in terms of a, a miracle or, a, or yeah. an output that, that we would see as positive. Yeah, and, and there's something in that we, when we're inactive, we seek more comfort. And when, when we're on a mission with a purpose, the, that need for comfort tends to just fade into the background. And, and I was thinking about, I know when, when I'm working from home, if I, when I get a bit bored and distracted, I end up wandering downstairs to the kitchen and, and my, you know, my head will be in the fridge foraging for something because I'm bored yeah. and, and I need something to, to fill the boredom. And it reminded me just when I last a week or so ago, when I was fasting, I decided to do some DIY and, and because I was doing something and active the fact that i was hungry just i forgot about it yeah. and it, and it, it just wasn't an issue at all in the end because i was was busy doing something um and and i i guess what i guess you know to summarize what we've been saying in this first section is that we're we're effectively living often living half-hearted lives where there's little adventure and no interaction with the suffering that's around us it's as if we've we, d we have little passion and little compassion at the same time yeah. and, and living in a bubble where we're unaffected by suffering. We see it on the TV, but we don't, we don't feel a natural empathy or compassion because we're not really engaging with it. We're just seeing it on the outside. Yeah. Um, but, but I think probably one of the biggest issues with becoming numb to life is that we also become numb to God and, and um, because so much of, of our life with God is, is about the heart. Yeah, he, the Lord looks to the heart. He dwells in our hearts. He gives us the desires of our hearts. He transforms our hearts. It's, it's all about the heart. And um, if we're not living from the heart, then I think it's very difficult to, to have a life that is, that is intimately entwined with God and, and his will. Um, that, I mean, that, I, some may disagree, but that's my... Yeah, that's my kind of reflection on it, if you like. And certainly personally, when I've thought about the the times when I would say I felt closest to God, it would be in those those really dark moments, like when my father died, and that whole process of him um, 
experience contracting cancer and then that developing to the point at which he died that was a horrible period but it was a time where i felt very close to god um and and the time where i experienced the deepest joys in life i think are are moments that are provided by god and and in many ways are part are experiencing him and intimacy him whether that be you know being moved by something in nature or or laughing uncontrollably with my kids i think those are the deepest joys in life which i think god god is present in and so if we're not you know if we're if we've buried our heart and we're numb to it and those moments with god become become less and less yeah i, I was also reminded of um there's a churchill quote he says something along the lines of um, courage is the greatest of all human qualities because it's the quality that guarantees all the rest. Mm. And, and I, I've always loved that quote because that, that word courage, the English word comes from the French word core and the Latin core, which means heart. And to have courage effectively means to live from the heart. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, it's always struck me as absolutely, if we're not living from our heart, then then yeah, everything else, everything else is going to be hard, hard work. You know, we've obviously been talking quite a lot about the fact that being distracted, being numb, you know, and you, and you might sort of say, you know, is that such a big deal? Is that so problematic? You know, is, is, does it really matter that I'm just sort of bumbling along through life? And this is not an easy Bible verse to, to, to kind of digest. But I was um, reading Zephaniah when we first, when this first kind of came up as a, as a topic. I was, I was, I've been challenging myself to kind of write some stories and some poetry from each of the minor prophets. And I happened to be on Zephaniah at the time. And in Zephaniah 1, it says this, I'll find and punish those who are sitting it out fat and lazy amusing themselves and taking it easy, who think that God doesn't do anything good or bad. He isn't involved, so neither are we. They'll lose everything they have. You know, that is a tough challenge, prophetic challenge to a life of passivity, a mm. life of, well, you know, what does it matter? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be a nice guy I'm not going to do anything particularly good. I'm not going to do anything particularly bad. I'm just going to kind of go on through life thinking about myself. And Zephaniah is saying, no, no, no. God is not comfortable with that at all. God is mm. involved in our lives and he wants us to obey him and he wants us to be involved in the, um, yeah, in the, in the kingdom of God and the things that the kingdom of God are doing mm. are often at the frontier. And, the, and it, as, you, as we've often sort of talked about, it's, it's the uncomfortable, it's the risk, it's the, mm. it's the opportunity to, to serve and love and, and um, yeah, make a positive impact on this world. And, and the kingdom of God, you know, is advancing. It's not kind of done from the background. In a no. You see, it's, it's, at, it's at the forefront. And that is about taking risks of our hearts. It's about taking risks, I think, around opening up and, and allowing our, our emotions to, to, to kind of well up in ourselves, as well as taking um, risks of, of action, of actually, yeah. you know, serving God, um, you know, going and, and helping people who you perhaps wouldn't ordinarily choose to do so yeah 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 and we and at the end of the day you can't 
learn to trust God unless you're taking some degree of risk. No. Because if, if there's no risk involved, there's no faith required. Uh, and if, if something doesn't require anything of you, then where's the need for faith? And I, and I guess that's what <laughs> James meant when he said faith without works is no faith at all. Yeah. There, no, there has to be an element of, of risk and ad- adventure. And, and ultimately, that's how God designed things to work. Absolutely. When he first when he first set us loose in the Garden of Eden, it was a case of right. This is yours. Go steward it. It'd be um, it'd be great to tell some of our own stories, but I want to. I, I listened to a talk that I heard probably ten years ago, um, just this weekend. And um, so Danielle Strickland um, is is a a speaker. Work um, works works certainly used to work for the Salvation Army. Quite a charismatic um, speaker. Uh, has often spent time in some of the poorer neighbourhoods and, and been part of Salvation Army churches that have been deliberately planted in, in tough neighbourhoods. And um, she met an older lady in, I think it was Melbourne, might have been Sydney, but anyway, it was in, in Australia, uh, a, a, you know, a church-going, Salvation Army-going. Um, that's not true. She was a Baptist. But anyway, she was a church-goer in Australia. And um, she happens to have the phone number that was one digit different to the local brothel. So she would regularly get <laughs> this old lady Baptist would, would get phone calls. And it turned out that there was a brothel like in her relatively middle class neighborhood because sex was a, was legal in Australia. So they had this kind of little hidden I, I don't think sex is illegal anywhere, is it, Greg? Well you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of, um, prostitutes. Or, you yes, know what I mean? Okay. Just to clarify. Yeah. And um and 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 so She'd sort of called up Danielle Strickland because Danielle Strickland had experience of kind of working with prostitutes. And and, and so she'd sort of said, um, you know, I was about to change my phone number so that I would stop getting these annoying phone calls from, you know, men wanting, you know, (laughs) women to have sex with. And God said, why don't you do something about it? And she said, Mm. so I've called you up, Danielle. What are we going to do about it? And uh, (laughs) she was like, you know, oh gosh, what are we going to do? And, and effective said, well, what would you do ordinarily? And and this older lady was apparently quite a missional person. And she said, well, normally I'd, you know, I'd bake cupcakes and I'd go and get to know these people. And she was like, well, great, that's what we're going to do. We're going <laughs> to cupcakes and we're going to knock on the door of this brothel. And, and so they, I think they prayed about it over the weekend and they'd agreed that they would go on Tuesday and it, it got to Tuesday and they were about to set off and, Um, And the lady turned to Danielle Strickland and said, I think you should stay here and pray. I'm going to go. And Danielle Strickland said, but yeah, I've done this before. I'm, I'm the professional. And she said, Mm. but I'm the neighbor. And Mm. I just thought that was brilliant. She's the one who's going to be there again and again and again. And Danielle Strickland said she watched her almost sort of trembling as she goes and knocks on this door and just was like, I've got cupcakes. And uh, (laughs) and apparently she continued to go and see them kind of every week, I think. And, you know, who knows what the fruit of that was, but yeah, it's just an amazing line. So good. Yeah. So good. I was, um, I was going to share one of my, favorite c.s lewis quotes of all time um and it comes from uh, a sermon he wrote called the weight of glory okay. which is I, I think the best sermon i have ever read it's just incredible and and in it he says if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, 
falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased so good again i think it'd be good to hear that a second time if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased brilliant it is isn't it and and i think in that 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 term infinite joy it's not the same as comfort in fact in many ways it's the antithesis of comfort yeah um but we often we often read joy and we think yeah that's a that's a ni- nice glass of cab sove whilst watching netflix and and whilst that can be a nice pleasure for sure and i'm not saying we shouldn't do that it's not it's not the infinite joy it's not the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels yeah and and i think that's what cs lewis is getting at he's saying just don't set your sights too low um think of what the gospels are really saying and what is yet to come and engage in that it's so refreshing i think as yeah. a, as a as a take on um as an explanation for the gospels because so often we go to the quashing of desire those bad desires whether it be you know lust or, or whatever it might be but that's not where we started is it in the garden of eden and and the and the unhealthy desires that came with the fall and and sin that's not where we started no. and and it's almost as if we have lost that original desire for eden um i i yeah i think it's incredibly profound what he's saying there that no it's not the gospels are not about crushing desire it's exactly the opposite it's about um yeah entering into those those moments of intimacy with god which take us to to you know uncomfortable places um, yeah. and in the process uh, we get to know him and become more like him and i so think refreshing. those unhelpful desires often happen when we're numb and bored don't they you know when yes. we're kind of dull yeah. and bored that's when the lust creeps in that's yeah. when the gluttony creeps in when you're yeah. on an adventure when you're you know when you're kind of praying for somebody in your neighborhood who mm. just, you've been brave enough to go and reach out to you're not kind of thinking about the you know i don't know eating another cake or having no. a beer or you know whatever it yeah. may be and then i know we're going to we're going to talk a bit about David uh, mm. as a good example of this, but I think about David and Bathsheba. You know, he was he saw Bathsheba when effectively, if memory serves me right, he should have been at war. And yeah, he chose to kind of yeah. get effectively. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go no. home. I'm going to go to the comfort of of my palace. And I'm going to look out at my domain, and oh, yeah. there's a lady yeah, yeah. and then look at yeah. what happens after that. Um, yes, yeah, and, and he sent her husband to the front line. Well, he does. He goes on yeah. there, effectively, to yeah, have him murdered, kind of. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. A whole raft of sin follows from what really was him seeking comfort, but mm. in that place of comfort came much worse. Comfort. Yeah, so good. Now, I, I, I pulled out some um, some of King David's psalms. Because he he was clearly a man that lived from the heart, and God said, "You are a man after my own heart." And his psalms are 
that it's like this roller coaster of emotions where he's pouring out um, his his grief and his frustration at the same time as as his desire for God. And so Psalm sixteen eleven he says, "You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence." Psalm forty two, "My soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God." And then and then in Psalm thirteen, he's in he's in the pits of despair. He's like, "How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How what, how long will you hide your face from me?" How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, they're, they're not um, they're not Netflix poems, are they? They're, no. they're 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 poems of of angst and longing and joy and desire. And, and it's a great it's a great model for um, yeah life with God. I think that's that's where that's where clearly where King David was finding God. And speaking with God, um, yeah, incredible, real challenge. And, and certainly in my own life, li- literally, like I think it might have been yesterday, or if not yesterday, the day before, I was praying at the end of a end of a sort of a tiring day. I've got a bit of man flu, so I was sort of feeling sorry for myself, sleepy in bed, and I was doing my best to listen to God and, and hear what God was saying. And I heard this voice of that, that verse in, in Matthew, which talks about all who are weary, come to me, you know, all who are tired, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it really struck me that my default when I'm particularly when I'm tired is to go to telly is to just, Mm. you know, crash out with a film, with a, with a Netflix series and it isn't to go to God. I do go to God in other circumstances relatively readily, but in the context of being tired and you know, poorly, that's when I that's when yeah. I kind of go to distraction. And and it really sort of struck me that that you know Jesus wants us to go to Him, and He's promises us rest. And why do I not trust Him to give me rest mm. <laughs> over and above yeah. a, a, a Netflix film? Yeah. And um, and I think also you you mentioned there in the in the kind of in with David that he's opening up he's talking about his emotions and i think this is an important thing as a, effectively like a counteract to being comfortably numb and i think probably particularly as men we are not great at opening up and mm. being real about where we're at and our no. emotions and and i've got a couple of stories one of my own and one of a, an interesting um, program I watched quite recently. So um, some of you will know that a few years ago, um, my wife and I um, were due to have a our third child and that child had a, a rare disease and ultimately died um, prematurely. And, and that was obviously devastating news for us both. Really, really rocked our world. Probably the hardest thing I've ever had to endure. Um, and particularly it had a, a really tough impact on Emily, was very, very traumatic for her. Um, and after probably six months of, of kind of just plodding through life and um, yeah, just the, the aftermath struggle and loss of that, um, you know, we were struggling and we decided to start kind of journaling our emotions and getting our pain and our and our frustrations and our anger out onto paper and kind of give it to God rather than to each other because we were upset. And um, I think for me, one of the things 
that I had felt was a real sense of guilt that it hadn't been as hard for me as it had been mm. for Emily. So this had really, you know, kind of broken Emily. I had found it sad and you can probably hear by my emotions. It, it's still, you know, it's still a, a sense of loss. I did lose a child, but it, it wasn't as hard for me as it was for Emily. And I found that kind of, yeah, I found, I felt guilty about it. And, and actually writing that down and then sharing openly and honestly about that with Emily was really, really helpful. And I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to go into what she shared, but obviously her, she went through that process as well. And, and it was really healing. And um, yeah, and, and obviously, you know, we've done that as, as men, you know, Rich, Steve, Matt, some of, our, some of us as a, a group of friends, we do these kind of things as well about other topics. But you know, obviously, that this is one that I'm sharing just about losing our, our son, mm-hmm. Eden. And um, but yeah, I think opening up was was hugely, hugely important and something that if you are going through a, a trauma or a mm-hmm. struggle in your life, you know, talk to your wife or, you know, probably probably find a man that you trust and, and know yeah. and, uh, you can confide in because it, it's in it's invaluable and go to God with it. Yeah. And I think what you've done in that process, Greg, is is to engage with the pain. Yeah. You, you, you haven't tried to simply anesthetize yourself against it and bury it and ignore it. You've you've engaged with what what is underneath. And that's I think that's exactly what we're we're talking about when it comes to pursuing comfort there are times when that's the wrong thing to do we need yeah. to um, we need to dig a bit dig a bit deeper unfortunately yeah no, uh, so good and um yeah i said there was another story i we what i know we've been talking about don't just watch telly all the time but i, I was this one particular bit of telly that i thought was really good i think it's on bbc rod gilbert um talking about male infertility and and he's really open and honest about some of his own journey that you know he and his wife have been struggling to conceive and you know it turns out that male infertility is far more common than than you would expect and yet is this huge stigma in our culture something that you know so so few men would ever want to talk about or open up about and um yeah I, i mean it's not something that i've had to had to endure um fortunately but but you know some of you listening may be going through this and um, process some of you may be going through it and, and not really even realizing it because it's not you know, there, there seems to almost be this sense that it's always the woman and, and actually there there's more and more evidence than that isn't always the case but um okay yeah rod gilbert's really really brave in terms of almost like being the face of of, of mm. male infertility and you can see he's clearly uncomfortable but also believes that this is a positive thing yeah, and forever men there's a bit of it's a bit of a blue like if you're if you're not someone who likes swearing or the occasional kind of sexual reference don't watch it but it is it is amusing and i think you know why i'm talking about it and, and recommending it is you know, it's encouraging men to be honest, and, yeah. and and even if it's not male infertility, whatever it happens to be that you that you're going through, opening up is a good mm. thing. And and that's a, again, it's a great example of courage, isn't it? It's that sure. it's that strength to to go to those uncomfortable places and be honest about them. Yeah, um, so good. So so I guess this kind of brings us to the question of so so where do we go with all of this? You know, recognizing the the issue that we all face. Um in this life, in this world, in the culture we're in, what do we do? Um, and again, there's a few things that came to mind for me. And one of them was I, I've come to see a little bit more of late how 
in, in Western culture, we have a certain cultural lens through which we look at the gospel. And um, my understanding of that is we tend to have quite a strong Pauline um, emphasis on on our theology. And, and whilst that's, you know, Paul's writing is obviously uh, is the gospel. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong in that. It's not the totality of of the Bible. Um, and, and typically with with Pauline theology, we, we tend to focus on um, salvation by grace, personal salvation. And that's great, great stuff. Absolutely. Amen. But it's not everything. And I've, I've been spending a little bit of time with um, some African brothers. And, and it's really intriguing to see how they will come from a different, slightly different angle to where we would typically come from. In, in the UK and their influences are typically more Moses and his writing. And so uh, you know, issues of judgment and justice are much, are much stronger parts of their theology. And I think when it comes to Pauline theology, there is a risk that if that is, if that is all that we immerse ourselves in, then, then we will typically be more um, looking at ourselves and focused on ourselves and, and um, there's a, I don't know if you've heard people use it. There's a phrase that I've heard a number of times. And the more I, the more I hear it, the more, it, more it's starting to anger me. And it's that phrase where we say, we are human beings, not human doings. And, and I've heard it a number of times. And I, I fear I may have used it myself in the past. And, and I kind of get it on one level. It's try, and I think it's trying to reinforce the concept of salvation by grace, which is, which is right. But if we take that in isolation, we're, we're missing so much because it implies that we just, we don't need to do anything that, that, you know, what God is calling us to do is to be personally saved and that's it. And that's just missing out on, on so many deeper pleasures and deeper challenges and everything that comes with the adventure of a life with, with God. And ironically, you know, Paul's theology, um, as much as it can be quite, quite uh, inward looking he, his life was couldn't be any more frontier could he he was shipwrecked beaten numerous times in prison numerous times i mean it was it was a life full of discomfort and risk and pain but yet we take what he says and, and turn it into a pursuit of comfort i guess one of the things i've noticed over the years is um how important it is to try and engage with some of the suffering that is happening around us and my my wife Jo has has an incredibly compassionate heart, and um, I always used to look at Jo and and think, why don't I care in the same way that that Jo does? I mean, she 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 will be incredibly moved by people's situations, and will always always come from a place of compassion. You know, what whenever we're driving, if someone if there is someone driving way too fast, and I make a comment on it. Joe will always make a counter comment to the effect of, well, may, maybe he's racing to his wife who's giving birth in hospital, <laughs> to which I go very unlikely, but fine. <laughs> um, but she, she's always had, she, she's always been incredibly compassionate. And I guess I used to think, well, that's just because that's how God created her. And, and I think there is an element of that. I think, you know, that is one of, is a unique gift of hers. But I think there's also an element of, she she just has always engaged more with with what's going on around her and has always wanted to to engage with people that are struggling 
And um, I guess I've started to experience a bit of that. I think certainly when I was um, working in London, I was just immune to it all. I, I was you know, busy with work, trying to recuperate at the weekends. I was just completely um, shut off from the real world and, and had no compassion, no empathy, just because I wasn't really aware of what was going on and had no interest to engage in it. Um, and so, yeah, if my, if my neighbor next door was, was, was suffering, I just wouldn't know and therefore wouldn't care. Yeah. And, and I guess over the last few years, I've started to engage a little bit more with that through, through the work with Chapter 2. And what I found is it, is it is building compassion in me because I'm starting to understand what is going on and in the lives of, of some people that are really struggling and, and specifically hearing their stories, understanding more of their journeys as to to, to how they're in the situations they're, they're in. And that's ultimately started to build a bit of compassion. Um, but it's, o- it's only through, you know, f- really forcing myself to engage in, in, in other people's lives that, that, um, that I've started to see. It's really opened my eyes to, to how much I was blinded before and just ignoring the reality of, of to what's going on around me. Yeah giving a name or you know, actually personalizing really makes a big difference, doesn't it? I think a lot of the kind of the anti-prejudice movements are, you know, instead of just punishing people who are racist, it's like, come and meet some people of that yeah. race and get yeah. to know them. And, and you'll realize that they, they're lovely people. Yeah. Um, you know, Absolutely. There's some, there'd be some great examples in films, films like pride, you, you know, there's a great, mm. I'd say pride is a film where, uh, the mining community, it's in the 80s, isn't it, under Thatcher and closing the mines. The mining communities in Wales are struggling financially. And then there's the, the gay and lesbian community in kind of London, Soho. And, and they recognise that the miners are kind of going through the same oppression that they've often experienced in their lives. Um, but there's just this real clash of culture, this kind of <laughs> outwardly gay quite kind of loud mm. uh some some risque clothing kind of gay community versus these kind of rural miners and and it's original initially although the miner although the the gay and lesbian group are raising money on their behalf they just don't want their charity they want nothing mm. to do with them and there's this scene where they're kind of it comes to a head and and the, the kind of lead character walks up to them and just sort of says hi i'm mark and puts his hand out and suddenly he's a person rather mm. than a yeah. a a prejudice or a stigma and i i thought that was a it's a it's a powerful scene yeah Again, no, good movie. don't watch it if you don't want it's a bit like rob gilbert if you don't like the old swear word don't watch it oh, it's, I, a, it's a great film i yeah i think it's I think it's one of those films that everyone should watch because it, it, you know, if it makes them, if it makes people a little bit uncomfortable, that might be a good thing. Because <laughs> sure. um, I, I think certainly watching films like that has has revealed to me some of my prejudices and 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 judgments I've made in the past, and yeah. it, and it's often based on just not understanding and not knowing. Sure. The the other thing that came to mind, I think, for me, is the importance of seeking beauty and. And why I think that's important is because when we, when we focus on something beautiful and, and God made, it, it takes us out of ourselves and we start to look outwardly as opposed to, to inwardly. We're focused on something other than ourselves. And I think that 
raises desire in us and, and, and reorientates us. I am, um, as you'll know, Gray, I was up in the Lake District last week with the family. And um, the first morning there, so we, it was the first, first full day, and my son and I, Reuben, got up at 4 a.m. to go and watch the, um, watch the sunrise and, and photograph, photographing the sunrise. And so, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't ideal getting up at 4 a.m., but it was beautiful. Uh, we went to this, this little lake um, called Tarn House and sat up on a little hill and watched the sunrise. And it was just such a glorious moment. And one of the most amazing things was the bird song was incredible. Um, and I've got a little recording of it. I might, if it works, we'll put it at the end of this, this little podcast for people to hear. But it was one of those moments where it just, just, just took me out of myself. And I was conscious of God's glory in a way that I hadn't been for some considerable time before that. Um, it did wonders for my soul. Um, and for me, that's that's one of the one of the places that I um, yeah feel like that intimacy with God is is building. That's good. I, re- I listened to a Desert Island Discs, and somebody chose bird song, and it's a bird trying to be louder than a play an enemy plane during World right? War Two. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's all, yeah, it's so a good. real kind of almost like prophetic. You know, we will win. It's it's great. It's really, yeah. really, really good. So good. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, just on, on that point of nature, um, many of you will know that we're about to, at the time of recording, we're less than two weeks away from, from embarking on this adventure called the Welsh 3000, where we're, we're going to attempt to walk all 14 mountains in Wales that are over, uh, over 3,000 foot within a 24-hour period. And I remember part of the reason that I signed up for this was I wasn't quite sure if I could do it. Mm. And, that, you know, we're, what, we're 10, 10 days away, possibly less. 10, and, yeah. And I still don't know if I can do it. And my preparations haven't entirely gone to plan. But, you know, I have, I've lost a stone. I'm a lot fitter than I was. And I've had some amazing walks with friends in preparation. And I'm really, really looking forward to finishing mm. it. But I think if I knew I could do it, it wouldn't have been the adventure that it was and it has been painful actually it's not it's not been all fun and laughter for me it's been quite a tough journey um, yeah but i think that kind of it hasn't been a comfortable journey in fact it's been at many at times a very uncomfortable journey um but hopefully that's going to build some real character growth and it's certainly raising a lot of money for a good charity bit of a yeah. shameless plug just giving.com forward slash campaign forward slash w3k we're at 90 percent of our target so you yeah, could, you could help us over the line yeah. yeah um but yeah i think that's you know that's a great story of you know i remember we talked about doing the welsh 3000 it must have been maybe like six years ago maybe seven years ago and it was right in the middle of my daughter tantruming at night and i saw i wasn't getting much sleep and i just said no i can't do it because i was too tired and and obviously my circumstances have changed a little bit my girls aren't tantruming in the night anymore but i am now six seven years older so mm. it's you know it hasn't been easy but you know i braved to say yes i'll do it uh, or i'll try and do it and um yeah, I think you know it's a it's a great example of what we've been talking about taking ourselves out of our comfort zone, doing something that we're not quite sure we can do. We're not quite yeah. sure how it's going to go. Um, yeah. yeah, how do you absolutely. feel about it? 
Yeah, the same. Um, I it's, it's that mixture of um, there's there's a lot of uncertainty in it. It's um, it's a big challenge, uh, but it, it, I I feel pumped. I feel alive. It's it's that it's on my mind. It's keeping me. It's keeping me active. It's keeping me focused. And um, yeah, I, f- I feel like we're all after it. It's one of those. It's there's a mission. We've set our minds after it, and we're getting after it, even yeah. if it's you know, it's it's not a comfortable thing to do. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of pain on the day, particularly towards the end. But I. I can. I'm just really excited for it in a kind of masochistic way. Yeah, it's I'm looking forward great. to doing it with friends as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. The kind of it's a joint mission, uh, and I think that helps, doesn't it? I think that, and that that would be true of all of these things, wouldn't it? If you're opening yeah. up about something, you don't have to do it alone. If you're, you know, seeking to serve people in your community, you don't have to do that alone. You mm. do it with a friend. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Any final so, pearls of wisdom, do you think, in terms of how we counteract a comfortably numb life? No, I don't think so. I think I think the summary of, I think, where we've been uh, meandering over the last 45 minutes or so would be to say, um, be prepared to engage with being uncomfortably alive as opposed to comfortably numb. Don't, don't be afraid of the discomfort because there's, there's uh, deeper pleasures involved in in going to those places amen amen listening to an and podcast keep your ears out for some further podcasts or head to aliveanddangerous.co.uk where you can hear talks from previous events or find information on future events If you'd like to get in touch, you can also grab us through the contact card where we'd love to hear from you.